0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
1: Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories behind stocks in a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 157. Yes, there's lots of caffeine involved today. Hey, just ahead, the owner of famous footwear showing fantastic demand, and how the war in Ukraine has helped a U.S. LNG company big time. And another company based entirely on shopping center real estate, a business that dramatically changed with COVID, my conversation with Phillips Edison
2: CEO Jeffrey Edison. But before that, it's sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the Down at any of your
1: favorite podcast platforms: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart TuneIn, and more. A
2: lot easier if you hit the subscribe button, follow us to catch every show and the drill down is brought to you by BrainTrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. BrainTrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost visit braintrust.com that's b r a i n t r u s t.com to learn more.
1: I'm Corey Johnson, welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories which explains the move in some stocks. Other movements are unexplained, but at least we'll know what they should be doing. Up. Let me figure all that out. Isaac Webster joins me right now from Los Angeles. Isaac yes, Hoyer.
2: Overcast, Los Angeles. Ooh, is it almost June gloom time? Yeah, June gloom
1: started in early May this year. How about that? You and know. Right now we've got LA weather up here in the San Francisco Bay area. I mean, Miami you know, Bay if I right believed now, in beautiful. climate
2: change, maybe, maybe it's part of that. Who knows? Nah, couldn't exist. I just don't want to believe in that kind of thing. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today?
1: Well, let's start with a St. Louis company called Calaris.
2: Calaris. Now, you know that all my family's from St. Louis, so I love yeah. it when we highlight St. Louis stocks. And Calaris trades under C-A-L, Cal. Cal shares have risen 9% in a year, really rallying over the past five days, actually. Are we highlighting the stock or the business? <sighs> tomato, tomato. Let's move no, on. Tell us what's not, going on with that Calaris. That is the
1: exact difference.
3: Which Tell is us what's going on with Calaris.
1: Was just talking about numbers. I read some story today about a company reporting earnings, a company we're going to talk about later in the show. And the first sentence in, uh, I think, Investor's Business Daily was the move in the stock price. I'm like, the company just told you what it's doing. Why are you leading with the stock price? That's not what matters. What matters is what the company does. And Calaris is zigging when the world said it should zag. Calaris runs a business known as Famous Footwear. And mm-hmm. one would think, if one looked at the market, at the stock market, at the breathless commentators on business TV. What passes as business TV was really stock market TV. Stock market TV says the consumer is not buying things. Stock market TV says inflation is ruining consumer demand. But the businesses, famous footwear, telling us that in fact demand is great, telling us that $735 million in revenues was up 15% from the year before, telling us that supply chain problems, forget about it. They say that in St. Louis? No, they don't. Uh, 35% more inventory than a year ago and fundamentally telling us that what's happening on the, uh, the consumer level is that the consumer is strong. Here's CEO Diane Sullivan.
0: I would say, you know, the, the consumer demand fundamentals, as far as we can see, remain uh, very strong. I think we're extraordinarily fortunate that we have a portfolio of diverse brands like we have that reach so many different consumer segments and price points, uh, along with you know Famous that really reaches um, uh, so many consumers and and has uh, all the national brands that they really want. So. Quite honestly, we have not seen any significant change in the uh, demand of the consumer in the last uh, number of weeks. It's still as strong as uh, April had been, and uh, really don't believe that that's going to change that significantly for us as we you know move through the second quarter and through the the rest of the year again all all to be seen, but we feel very confident in um, all of um, are the signals that we're that we're seeing about our business. The second thing is that uh, with respect to price elasticity and and price increases, again, same thing. Because of the much um, you know lower pro- promotional environment, it's it's a lot quieter than it had been, uh, as well as you know uh, the fact that we really took our price increases up going into spring of this year. Again, feel like all of that looks like right now that that is um, holding, and we really again believe that part of that has been we've always tried to deliver unbelievable value every day in the products that we that we deliver to the consumer. So that would be think the second thought second point
1: so this is what Sullivan is calling their best ever first quarter performance in sales in gross profit margins and in earnings again Isaac uh, this you know the stock had actually sold off quite a bit going into this report Um, the market got it completely wrong uh, and now the stock is you know trading the highest price it's traded all year Corey what is your next drill down I want to look at Accelerate Energy from Woodlands, Texas, Ex- uh, spelled as only an illiterate wood, Accelerate with E-X-C-E-L, A-R-A-T-E. I'm sorry, Accelerate people, I'm insulting your grammar, but they spelled it as if it's a
2: spreadsheet, not as if it's over the word Accelerate. Well, I'm sure they use spreadsheets within the company. So maybe that's where it stems from. But trades under EE, and EE shares are basically flat if you look at a 12-month chart. But they've jumped 10% over the past week. Yeah, well, this company is growing fantastically. It's a recently public company um,
1: that uh, is in the LNG business. And, uh, you know, oil's been hot. LNG has certainly been super hot. And these guys really benefiting from the news that they broke on Friday, which was that uh, uh, Finland has, you know, as we know, Finland and Sweden moving away from their independent status, worried about aggression from Russia. Um, Not that Finland in particular hasn't always been worried about aggression from the Soviet Union, at least before uh, it was just Russia now. But, uh, you know, they have fought wars with the Soviet Union and they're worried about their neighbor to the east. And as they move towards NATO, they're also moving away from Russian gas. The uh, energy or the finance minister, I should say, Annika Sariko, my finish is not great, Isaac. That might surprise you. It's very surprising. I yeah, I think I passed this finish. Maybe sure, I'm a little Scandinavian. Sure, there's, there, there's zero Scandinavian in my in my DNA reports, but nonetheless, uh, the uh, finance minister from Finland saying they're going to move away from uh, Russian gas and they're going to move towards accelerate energies offerings of LNG, signing a ten year charter. Or a floating storage and refrigeration vessel um, with this Texas based company, Woodlands, Texas based. Woodlands, Texas is in the suburbs of Houston. I know it well. Um, what's interesting about this company though is already growing fantastically. So they reported earnings today uh, $592 million up, or revenue, I should say, $592 million up 259% year over year. Profits, yes, profits, $13 million. Uh, adjusted profits of $72 million if you want to make those adjustments. Um, and they announced a lot of progress um, in uh, actual gas sales out of the Northeast Gateway Terminal in Boston Harbor, um, a full quarter of gas sales uh, in Brazil. Uh, they moved ahead in projects in Bangladesh, in Argentina, as I mentioned, in Finland. And I thought it was really interesting to listen to Steve uh, Kobos, the CEO of Accelerate Energy, t- saying that this might be The most important time for change in the oil and gas business since the 1970s opec embargo here's ceo of accelerate energy steve kobos
4: the energy crisis in europe and the war in ukraine have greatly increased the appeal of having flexible access to lng as a means of promoting energy reliability and enhancing energy security the potential for further disruptions of Russian pipeline gas to the region resulted in LNG cargoes that ordinarily would have been destined for the Asia Pacific region being diverted to Europe. The increase in LNG volumes being imported to Europe have also driven spot LNG prices to record highs as countries who have historically been dependent on Russian gas are now competing for limited LNG supply. We expect this sequence of events to lead to a new wave of liquefaction projects taking FID, which will be additional to the more than 100 million tons per annum of new supply already announced through 2027.
1: So predictions of great growth in the LNG volumes from this this, uh, young, fast-growing company, Um, and one that I'm going to poke around in a little bit more. Um, I'm sure they're up to, everything's great. I've, I've, I've investigated both great companies and what I consider stock frauds in Woodlands, Texas. So um, we'll see what we got here. But this is, uh, they're certainly announcing lots of great growth in the near future for Accelerate EXEL.
2: Corey, what is your next drill down? All right, well, we went from EE, the stock ticker. Let's go VVV, <laughs> Valvoline. Valvoline, as you said, VVV shares have risen just over 3% in a year, but year to date, they've lost 9%. But maybe
1: most importantly, what happened today to the stock, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday here, you saw just a fantastic move, the stock up 14%. After news in the Wall Street Journal that the state oil giant Saudi Aramco has been talking to Valvoline regarding a possible takeover deal. Now, there's no guarantee that two sides will reach a deal And the talks are in early stages, according the Wall Street Journal says, to people familiar with the matter, as our friend Matt Miller would say, well, why would you talk to people who aren't familiar with the matter? Of course, they're familiar with the matter. (laughs) Or at least they say they are. According to someone who
2: has no context or (laughs) or connection to the company.
1: I talked to my four-year-old today (laughs) and they say the talks are in early stages. Right. Well, um, Valvoline is an interesting company. There has been a quiet activist campaign to get them to change their business practices. Um, they have been extraordinarily resistant. Um, I, this is just me talking. I have no position in Valvoline at the moment. And I just think that uh, I'm super not impressed with what these guys have done and how they've responded to changes in their business. In particular, these guys have two businesses. They have a, a retail business and a products business. And the retail business has been doing really, really great. And their franchises in particular have been doing really great. And in response to some of these activist calls, they put out this tepid note saying that they were going to look back in October, uh, they put out a press release saying they were going to look at possibly splitting retail and products. Um, well, the retail business is just surging uh, and lots of stuff. Once again, going against what we've been hearing about uh, the, what the, the bubble TV people tell us, that uh, that uh, inflation is scaring consumers away and people aren't buying things Well, their transaction growth, uh, getting oil changes and so on, the main business there, uh, has been really strong. Uh, they've seen uh, price increases, and they've been taking price, uh, raising their prices, and they've found consumers uh, willing to pay those higher prices to get these oil changes. And uh, they've been able to, because of more transactions, because of rising prices, they think for the full year they're going to see about 13% increases um, over the course of the entire fiscal year. And, uh, well, listen to what the CEO Sam Mitchell had to say on the conference call.
5: Transaction growth has continued to be uh, quite strong. So we saw that in Q1 and again in Q2. And so that is uh, uh, one of the drivers behind our our guidance for the full fiscal year, uh, because we are con- just continue to see that broad-based strength that we pointed out in the presentation. Um, pricing certainly is going to have an impact on the back half of the year, so we'll see a nice benefit in ticket performance in the back half of the year. And so the combination of the continued uh, growth in transactions, um, you know, somewhat above uh, expectations, and then the, the uh, increased pricing is going to put us in that 12 to 14 percent range uh, for the full fiscal year. Uh, that does imply that you know it, the the growth that we saw in the first half will be uh, lower in the second half because of the the nature of the comps as we move past like the COVID nineteen comparisons. With regard to uh, price increase, um, you know we have a very disciplined process for how we take pricing, and uh, you know it it uh, involves you know measuring uh, price increases and potential impacts on our. On our volume and uh, transaction performance, uh, but as you know, costs have moved up pretty significantly, both both on the product side and on the labor side. Uh, the, these price increases, you know, are very important for us to take uh, as we've made these adjustments. And, and as noted earlier, that we took these in April. Um, we uh, have also noted that our competitors have taken similar price increases. So you know, when you take a look at pricing across the, the do it for me market, um, you know, prices to consumers are, are up uh, across the board.
1: So yes, across the, uh, across the board competitors, raising prices, these guys are raising prices should be good for everybody in the kind of auto repair space, if you will. I hate that cliche space. I just did it. But, uh, uh I gotta say, so here you have a company in the midst of now, we know potential acquisition target from uh, Saudi Ramco. We know, and I said the earnings, the, the, the earnings announcements was a few weeks ago, But I thought it was list, worth listening to what they had to say last time. And one of the things they did is they just didn't answer questions. They only took questions. You know, we, uh, on this show, every time we put out a show, we're recording the, what the CEOs have to say in response to a single question usually, but typically these calls will go on for an hour, an hour and a half. They'll take a dozen questions, sometimes many, many more. These guys at Valvoline, in the midst of enormous criticism about the way that they run their business, with a stock price that had gone from 37 to 27 in the course of the last uh, five months, took questions from just two friendly analysts and said, that's it. We're done. Bye-bye. Two analysts. They're buddies. Mm-hmm. Not talking, how do you know they were friendly? Because of their because ratings of the Because of yeah. the questions and the ratings on the stock. Um, uh, that you know, not facing the music, not facing the criticism, not explaining their business strategy when it is under fire from analysts who look at this and the activist investors who think that there is more money to be made here. Saudi Ramco, apparently, among them. So, keeping an eye on Valvoline, keeping an eye on this sector as well, because as people get their cars on the road, they're going to need more repairs on those cars, and that could be good business for these guys, even if they're not uh, maybe responding. I'm being kind. Should I be kind? Is it more fun? Why not start kind? now? All right. These clowns should be doing a better <laughs> job than they're doing right now. And they should at least be explaining what they're doing to the people who buy their stock, the analysts who cover their stock. And yes, the activists who think they can do a better job. If these guys can't even handle the tough questions, it makes you wonder if they can handle making this business run better. Um, it's, I just think it's ridiculous. These guys are so chicken shit. Did I say chicken shit?
2: Well, you just did. So yes, you can. They're quite, to quote James Comey, chicken shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do, now this may sound really stupid, but, and the whole uh, electric car stopped you before? No. Industry, yeah, it's no, never what? stopped me before, exactly. But the whole, uh, where does, how is Valvoline going to play into the shift to electric? Do electric well, cars have a need for Valvoline's products? I mean, uh, I feel like I should you know should this answer, but I really don't um, know.
1: Well, so yes, the cars get fixed. And cars yes. cars cars need repairs and cars need maintenance. Um, there is an
2: argument that for yes, example, but the, the type of maintenance cars, does that electric car would need would that require Valvoline, Valvoline's you know expertise?
1: It, it may theory? or may not need as much yeah. oil. It's not going to need as much uh, but the engines have fewer moving parts, yes, but mm-hmm. um, they're hundred percent going to need more maintenance and that maintenance will include oil uh, of some of in some way you know who knows what an engine's going to look like in 10 years. But uh, these cars are a lot heavier. They're going to go through things like tires a lot faster. Right. Um, They're going to go through the other few moving parts they have a lot more frequently because Mm -hmm. of the weight of these cars. One of the only responses that these guys have had after this activist campaign begun was a change in their own description of their company. Um, Their old description of the company I have here in my notes. I'm so glad you asked. They used to say, we're the leading worldwide marketer and supplier of premium branded lubricants and automotive services with sales in 140 countries established in 1866, blah, blah. Now they say, a global leader in vehicle care powering the future of mobility through innovative services and products for vehicles with electric hybrid and internal combustion powertrains. So they clearly know that change is afoot, if not uh, in the ownership of their stock, in the uh, uh, needs of their customers and trying to respond to that. With a new company description. We'll see if these guys can handle that with also changing the product offerings and the opportunity right there before them. Certainly, the rising uh, uh, revenue guidance from this company suggests that there are trends afoot that's gonna be positive for Valvoline. All right, coming up next, we're gonna go in depth into the grocery driven shopping mall business and how much that's really changed during COVID, how we came to rely on businesses that became essential we might not have known were so essential. That's where the CEO of Phillips Edison,
2: Jeffrey Edison joins us right after this. The drill down is brought to you by BrainTrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. BrainTrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast with a fraction of the cost. Visit braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by the
1: CEO um, of Phillips Edison. Jeff Edison, the CEO, joins us right now. Um, I love, listeners, you know this, I love to talk about the grocery business. And here we are talking about grocery real estate, which is real close with this uh, REIT that Jeff runs. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Um, well, how do you describe the business problem that uh, Phillips Edison solves?
3: Well, first of all, thank you for having us on the, me on the call. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. You know uh the problem that we solve is last mile delivery to the average American, um, and that is what our shopping centers do and have done pretty consistently over you know the thirty years we've been doing this uh this business.
1: Yeah, um, and I want to talk a little bit about that the sort of the history of the REIT business and how you guys have been involved in that for a long time, longer than this REIT has been around. But this is a this this you know, stock ticker Pico. We don't give an investment advice. This isn't about the stock. It's about the business. But Phillips Edison uh, is a is a read that has been around not for a super long time. But you are focused exclusively on the real estate of malls that are around outdoor of grocery, right? Or the areas yeah, on grocery. All,
3: all, all of our centers are open air. Um, all of them are anchored by the number one or two grocer in the market that they're in, and. Um, they are across America. We have almost 300 properties, um, and uh, um, you know, yes, we have only been public since July last year. Um, we were an SEC registered uh, non-traded REIT before that for almost 10 years, um, and prior to that, uh, a private company.
1: Yeah, and I must admit, I did not know that there were there were non-traded REITs registered with the SEC, private mm-hmm. REITs, if you are, until I was mm-hmm. reading through your documents. I've got a lot to learn. Um, so you talk about where you are give us a little better sense you say you're everywhere grocery is one of those businesses that tends to be have I won't say they're monopolies cuz I know that's a legal technical term but there are dominant players in different markets and if you're in we're in northern california where i am right now it's safeway or safeway yes there's albertsons but it's safeway and say well now it's the same um if you're in uh chicago it's jewel if you're in with some kroger sprinkled around if you're in upstate New York it's Wegmans and they're in anything else you know it that's true all over the country yes
3: absolutely, and you know whether it's publics or um, right. you know that you know the, the, everywhere you've got uh, dominant and and our our philosophy over a long time is that the every market really needs to have at least two grocers because the consumer doesn't just shop uh, one uh, a grocer doesn't only want one grocer, they want choices. And um, so in our mind, the, you, you, having the number one or two grocer is really critical um, because beyond that, it, it can drop off, as, kind of as you were pointing out, can drop off pretty dramatically in terms of, you know, what the customer wants.
1: So um, as, we, as we look at that, so uh, what does what your typical center look like?
3: Yeah, so our typical center is 115,000 square feet. Um, right. It has a 50,000 square foot grocer, Um, again, the number one or two grocer in that market. And it's surrounded by small stores that are primarily necessity-based. You know, about 75% of our income comes from necessity-based retailers. And that's how we've, you know, that's our formula.
1: I couldn't tell in reading your financials how many of your centers I would see, national chains. I'd see a Chipotle, I'd see a Starbucks, I'd see a Panda Express. Or, I'd, or was it local dry cleaners and you know Jeans music center or something you know, that was yeah, the name of about, my mother's music store by the way when I was <laughs> getting, getting
3: nice yeah so it, it, it's about it's about uh 25 percent local um and then about 30 percent regional and the balance is national interesting
1: how do those differ why why is that a balance I mean that you get the balances you've got is what you get but how do those differ in terms of Risk, cost, duration of the lease, and so on.
3: Well, it's 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 really driven by the type of retail it is, um, and there are certain segments like nails and you know a lot of a lot in the in the hair business and and in you know the uh, um, you know the franchise businesses that um, have a local uh, owner, um, and then that. So it, it, it's really been driven primarily by how the retail market works. And, um, you know, the what, what we're always trying to do is to get the right merchandising mix for what is effectively a three mile radius around our centers. Um, that's sort of how we look at it. Um, and each market has a slightly different needs and different you know character. And, you know, whether it's a really high income, medium income or, or uh, centers, which is where we, we're primarily in um, th- the needs of that consumer are different and uh, the retailers that want to be in those markets are different. Um, you know, we do have a, a high degree of, of Chiboltes and Starbucks in our centers. Um, but we also have a lot of local nail salons and laundries and, you know, a lot of the fitness is, is franchised. Um, some of the food is franchised, um, but that's, that's sort of how we do it. And it, it's, it's a, it's a lot more of an art than a science um, getting that right merchandising mix where each of the different, we, we call them our neighbors, but they're, the everyone else calls them tenants, but but right. where our neighbors can um, work really well together and they benefit off of each other's traffic and help, you know, really like when you leave your house and you've got to do something that you need to do, a necessity-based thing, that you can do it in one spot in a really convenient way and get it done in a you know, with, with a great selection of, of stuff, but, but A, be able to do it in a really efficient way. And that's, you know, everyone sort of probably has their shopping center close to their house that, you know, where they do, where they do a lot of that stuff. And, and getting that right mix is a big part of, of how we create value in, in these centers.
1: It seems like that's one of the pandemic effects that we've seen is the importance of, or the the frequency with which people go to the grocery, uh the grocery store, uh, has let other kinds of companies move in near there. I think the one that struck me was, small size Lululemon's at Lululemon changing their footprint so they could be near a whole foods because they figured out that their customers go to whole foods a lot more than they go to the mall where they used to find Lululemon.
3: Yeah. And, and it's the same for a lot of different customer groups um, where they do want that they, the, the retailers realize that they benefit each other um, because Lululemon helps whole foods in the same way whole foods helps uh, Lululemon um, because it's, it's a thing that, you know, the, the shopper wants um, and they, they just, they're, they're naturally attracted to that if you get the right mix.
1: So are you able to take lessons from one market and apply it to a new market where that that market, you might have just acquired property there, but that, which we can talk about in a second, you're about to do a lot more of that. But that market might not have seen that, those lessons and that wisdom that you learned in one place that you can bring to a new
3: place. Yeah, we, we, we believe that because a lot, you know, the, the grocery anchor shopping center business is a really fragmented business with a lot of people it- who own one or two centers. And when we're able to go in there and bring our national leasing team to that center, we can actually bring in uh, neighbors that were not, were not there before um, because of our rela- you know, long-term relationships we've had with a lot of the retailers.
1: Do you acquire property in areas where you know that you're you've got other tenants? I'm not going to say neighbors. I know that you can say neighbors.
3: Yeah, the difference between a neighbor tenant. tenants. I'll say neighbors if it's okay. I'm
1: I'm working from home today, and none of the yeah. houses around me pay me money, so they're my neighbors. They're not <laughs> yeah. my tenants. Right. Anyone in this building yeah. should be paying rent, my, including my teenagers who won't. Yeah. Um So uh, you know, as as you um, uh, are, you able to sort of say, hey. I know that Starbucks wants to double their size in this particular market, and there's no Starbucks in this shopping center right now, but we're gonna acquire this property because we know Starbucks is growing here, shrinking other places, and we've got that relationship. We might be able to bring in the tenant like that.
3: Absolutely, it's so it's a it's, when we underwrite centers that we're buying, um, a lot of it comes for, with a strong leasing input from the guys who are on the ground saying, look, I can get, not only can I, you know, take the inline stores and do it, but maybe we can buy this out lot and we can get a Starbucks with full drive-through and 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 the convenience and bring that to that community. And that community, knowing the demographics of the community, knowing the you know the the shopping habits of the of those uh, uh shoppers, um we can bring them something that is, you know, that that what that they want to have in their community. And that's what I'm, we're hope to do. I'm gonna name
1: drop right now. You ready? So I was sitting with Magic Johnson once, and uh, I was with the guy that ran his his business. And at that time, they had a, a partnership with Starbucks um, and his Urban Magic Group. And I was talking to him about real estate, and they you were know, talking about some specific locations that they might be interested in uh, some downtown areas that I knew. And they were like, "No, we need a we need a, it has to be in a right hand corner so you can make the turn, and you'll be in see either side. There has to be outdoor seating. Like they had very specific." knowledge of know they had looked at every corner in oakland for example yeah. like every street well, corner in oakland trying yeah. to figure out where they yeah. wanted to be
3: and and the national retailers have a, a format. they all have that, that right they, they have a format that works for them they know the demographics they need they but but they also know the physical plant they need and a lot of that is that convenience i mean it's just it's it's what goes through your mind as a customer is like I'm not going to go get my Starbucks because i got to take that left turn in there, and it's going to be a pain. You know, it's going to be all that traffic, and then there's going to be a lot. Like, I'm, I'm just not. And they've and they and they've been doing this for so long, they know what will work and what won't work. And they don't make that many mistakes because they've done the research to know what where they can be successful.
1: And, and you that's on the that? national side. Well, and so they, they've got that. But I know know there have historically been firms that sell that information, that sell that kind of location data yeah. regarding kind of demographics, but really down to some really small scale. I would imagine that it informs the decisions about what properties you're going to buy, because now that you're public, you do have a bigger sort of uh, um, ability to buy cash. You've sold some shares and are able to spend some of that money.
3: Yeah, well, you know, Placer AI is just an, a great example um, where they're tracking your cell phone. And all, almost all the retailers are using that type of information today. And they know exactly who's driving by the store you know driving by the center they know wh- what the the stores around them are doing they know how that compares to other stores that they've had and they can say well i'm going to do x millions of dollars of sales out of this location with with a lot more accuracy than they have been able to do historically because of the additional information they have in their decision process and it's it's really it's, it's it, in my mind it's changed a lot of the real estate decisions
1: let me drill down a little more what what does that cell phone data show like what what you know obviously it's aggregated and you don't know an individual's stuff but what 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 does it show that it was which was changed your business that you've been in for so long
3: well i mean a a great example is when they they can know that that kroger is doing 33 million dollars they even though they don't know kroger doesn't tell them what their what their sales are they can know that by looking at you know a week's track traffic patterns of people going in and out of the store, and they know that of the centers of the stores that they have with a thirty million dollar Kroger in that kind of a location, I can do this kind of thing. And they and they you know we, we used to there was a long time ago where you actually did a similar thing you know looking at uh, cars and 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 looking at their license plates, and then you'd send the information in, and they would tell you who was there and that stuff. And now they do it in, almost instantly. And mm-hmm that is a, you know, it, 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 it's a game changer, I think.
1: Do you, have you ever seen a situation where, I mean, obviously we're just going through this pandemic experience, but where you see that kind of real-time data on traffic and realize you might have a real estate problem coming up?
3: Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's much for us, it's a, much more often that it is a um, – it's it's a retailer issue than it is a market issue um certainly right. you know there there are certain stores i mean just take some of the stores that are gone you know they're gone today that we're here and you know taking our space 10 years ago um those that you know that was a retailer issue it was not a locational issue um and and being able to understand that difference is a big you know part of what we have to do when we're evaluating properties to buy
1: but I guess I'm asking, you, is there an example where you've seen that cell phone data that, that uh, and said, oh wow, Blockbuster might be have to move out soon. They're not gonna they're not seeing the traffic they used to.
3: Yeah. Well we 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 look at almost all of the retailers on that basis and we can get a pretty good handle. Now, we oftentimes have their sales, so we know it, you know, beyond just I mean, in 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 a real where, you know, where is the customer spent their money, which is a, always a you know, the best for me, the best information, um, but this is um, has almost replaced that in importance or equal importance um, as you look at it, because you can actually get a very good read on that. And you know, it is the it's the trends that the consumer is doing and, and and the thing I lo- we love about the retail business is that it's always the choice of the consumer. And it's oftentimes they're sitting on their couch and they're saying, okay, I got to go do this. Where am I going to do that? And then like what? It's that taking their wallet out or their, their credit card out and 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 tapping it and 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 where are they going to do that? That that that's really the mentality that we have to have in in terms of which, you know what type of merchants we put into the into our centers.
1: And I'm also interested, you know, as as you do that over time, when you were looking at again, you're about to acquire a lot more properties. Your acquisition uh, is, uh, pace is going to pick up. Apparently, you've also you know brought some money to do that with. Um, what does a bad deal look like? What is a deal that someone else might bring to you and and think it's good, and you got to say, yeah, no, here's why we won't do this.
3: Yeah, um, uh, well, one thing we we've been a pretty strong growth company for thirty years. I mean, we've yeah. basically doubled the size of the company every three years for uh, the Long since time. we started. Um, and uh, um, so, the billion dollars that we're planning to buy to buy over the next three years is is actually slightly below what we've done historically. Um, but so it's, it's not a, we haven't really accelerated, um, the the deal, but, but in terms of like bad deals, um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, uh, there are so many things that go into evaluating what we buy it. And it can be one thing. It can be access. As you talked about a little earlier, like the, the access to a center may, may in our mind be an obstacle, um, to, Ever being able to really bring the potential out in a in a shopping center that we that we want to do, and we've 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 walked on deals because of that. You know there are physical things. Um, you know today's environment. You know the the, the drive through has become such a critical part. You know do are, are we able to do you know be able to do that, and that's not only a physical thing, but it's what you know what the cities will allow and the and the counties will allow those uh, shopping centers to actually do. Um, so you know, today to put in a Chipotle, a if you, if, if, if there's an obstacle to drive through, you're, you're probably not getting them as a, as a tenant in, in your shopping center. Huh. So It is, they're very specific things that are really needed. Um, and, and then, and then there are a plethora of things, whether it's environmental issues or things that we've had to, you know, pass on, on centers because we didn't, you know, we, we thought that they were, you know, problems. So they're, there, there's an awful lot that goes into the underwriting to make sure that you're getting what you actually think you're gonna you're gonna get and what you know, your 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 plan is for the for the center.
1: And is the idea of grocery just that it's just so essential? I mean, certainly our relationship with grocery stores and you know as as an essential thing. I don't know that anyone realized how essential it was until the pandemic when those were the only stores allowed to stay open.
3: Um, just about yeah, that's a that. that for, for our small stores, which is where we make a lot of our, our money, um, it's the 1.7 times you go there. That That's what's really the driver because that drives your convenience location. Sorry, 1.7, that's how often you go every week? A week, yeah. That's how many times yeah. the average American goes to a grocery store a week. And if you think about retail and you think about what retailer do you go to 1.7 times a week, there's almost none. Um, and that's why the grocer is so valuable to our shopping centers and why they're such an integral part of our strategy.
1: What do you make of um, the struggles that urban areas have seen? I know I've in the last week I've been in Los Angeles, well, Hollywood more than anywhere, um, uh, Seattle and San Francisco and Seattle, and San Francisco in particular, the downtown areas are um, the businesses are still closed. Workers are not there. And so the street scene is just different. Things are boarded up. The, the percentage of homeless people, the not homeless people, you know, rents are, rents are higher than ever. And so uh, the, the fringe population that is homeless is struggling so much more because it's impossible to rent in those places at reasonable prices. And there's no one else on the street. What does that mean for your business? And, and what, where do you see that trend going?
3: Yeah. So fortunately for us, um, we have almost no urban uh, footprint. All of our is suburban, you know, all of our centers are, are suburban. Um, and, you know, we're obviously rooting for the cities to come back and, you know, get their vibrance back that they had. And, and, I, and I think it's going to be a long road. I don't think it's going to be a quick COVID's over and everyone's back in the city. You know, the suburbanization is something that, you know, was happening before the pandemic. Um, and when you think about what uh, work from home means, um, it means you're going to be closer to our centers more of the day. And we're going to get a bigger chunk of, of your, of what, of what you consume. And that, that's, so we, we've had, it's been an advantage to us. Obviously it's not what, you know, you don't want any city to have the kind of problems, but these are, these are pretty serious issues that are, um, I, no, nobody has a real great solution to them because it is crime. It is, you know, homelessness. It is, it's, it's the security that people need where they live and the cities had that and they, you know, they're, they've lost some of that and they've got, you know, they've got to, they've got to address it and figure out how to, how to make it work because safety is one of the top five things every consumer mentions when they look at their, the things they want in a shopping environment.
1: Really interesting. Let me ask you some, we're almost out of time here, but I, um, I want to ask I, again, I don't care about the stock really. I just care about the business, but you are a REIT, you pay out most of your profits and dividends um and you pay it monthly uh why do you pay monthly
3: um well we generate about 80 million dollars of free cash flow and we we, we do a, and we pay a dividend of about uh th- that's after our dividend um our dividend is is about uh 60 of our cash flow um and so um that that's how we have sort of played that and and we that gives us growth capital and stuff um the um, uh, so we we give a monthly dividend because our foundation of our investor base um, is retail, uh, retail investors and our our retail investors love to get a check in the mail every month. Uh, they just they just love it. And, you know, the institutional guys say, well, I get the cash or I get the value increase. They just, like, but for the retail investor, who's a very important investor to us. Um, they they love it and we've always done it and it's it's a little more expensive to do but it's you know it it, it it's very valuable to uh, some of our investors.
1: Uh, well, your time is valuable. I won't take any more of it. Uh, Jeff Edison is the CEO of Phillips Edison, uh, and we appreciate your time, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Brad. Right, appreciate it. Next. It was
3: Great, great talking to you. Have a great day. Yeah, really
2: appreciate
1: it. Um, yep. Coming up next, we're going to talk having drill down bite the one number.
2: That tells us a whole lot about Phillips Edison. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com.
1: If you stood outside the windows of my very old house and yelled through my very old windows, you could yell at my smart speaker. Hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast. You'd want to run away before my dog would attack you because she's unfriendly at times, but you can ask your smart speaker or someone else's smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast. That means to each serving of business news and business stories behind stocks in a move by just asking your smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast. All right, we're back with a bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot about the Drill Down's big story today about Phillips Edison and uh, Isaac So we talked about how all of these uh, stores, all these grocery stores are anchoring these essential uh, shopping malls. But you know, every once in a while, a grocery store will move or go out of business or change. So you wonder how much uh, anchor occupancy these guys have. If the anchor tenant is a grocery store, but the grocery store isn't there, and that surely happens at time. What, how often does it happen for these guys? So here's your number. 97.6% of their shopping malls Point six would be, I guess, referring to how many months during the year, had their anchor tenant in place. So these guys not only have their anchor tenants for most of their malls, they keep those anchor tenants almost all the time, um, driving the, you know, making sure this business really is being led by those anchor tenants, the grocery tenants that they say are leading this business so well. Fascinating business. Um, Grocery, you know, as I keep saying, one of my favorite businesses because it's so simple to figure out in some ways, but interesting that it's driving so much. Real estate value as well. Yeah,
2: you know, that's got to be tough to keep those anchor tenants in place. Well,
1: the sophistication that they have um, about knowing what location to be in and how to monetize um, the best possible place to be um, is really interesting with all the data that we talked about there, um, cell phone data and so on, that, yeah, they know where they want to be, and I guess once they find that spot, they want to keep it. Hold your corner. If it works in the wire, it works for Safeway. All right. Thanks for listening to Drill Down. We do appreciate it. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster, Executive Producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.